0: Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO, and co-founder of y Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 68 of the built on purpose podcast brought to you by Y scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Y scouts where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Today, our guest is Shuchi Sarkar. Shuchi is currently the CMO of a biotech startup Creo Inc. Creo is an ingredient platform producing minor cannabinoids through a fusion of technology and fermentation with multiple benefits to humans. Prior to taking on the role at Creo, Shuchi was the global marketing head for HP Graphics, a growing 4 billion dollar B2B digital printing business for HP. We're incredibly lucky to have her on the show today. Shuchi, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast.
1: Thank you, Max. It's uh, my pleasure to be here and chat with you today.
0: Awesome. Well, I had the pleasure of having a call with her, I don't know, it's probably a month and a half ago. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to to expand on some of the things that we that we were talking on, but just to start out, this, this would be kind of an easy way to get things going. Let's talk about what you and the team are doing at Creo, and we'll kind of get into that first, just so the audience that's listening can really hear that, and then we'll, we'll dig deeper into some other layers. But I think it's fascinating, and I just want to want to kind of hear it from you, kind of the brand ambassador and the CMO of what you guys are doing at Creo.
1: Sure. So, you know, the first thing that I have to always clarify to everybody is that Creo, we're not a cannabis company. You know, when I was taking up this job, my daughter was like, are you going to be selling weed and cannabis? And I was like, no, I am not selling weed and cannabis, we're not in THC, Uh, we don't do CBD, in fact, we do um, what is called minor cannabinoids, so, you know, think the plant, the cannabis plant itself has about 100 cannabinoids, uh, all of which, um, you know, have different kinds of benefits, Uh, The benefits can range from medical, you know, in terms of there's a lot of work happening about how these cannabinoids can help with, you know, Alzheimer's and neurological disorders and cancer and a lot of research around that is undergo right now at different, um, you know, places, as well as just everyday applications, you know, antioxidation. Um, um, in terms of anti-inflammation, dryness, moisturizer, weight loss, pain management, lots of things. So, however, in the plant, um, you know, it takes the plant, a lot of water, electricity and land to grow the plant. And um, we have created a process by which we uh, manufacture the same cannabinoids that you find in the plants, we call them bio-identical, but they are not from the plant. We create this through a process of fermentation. So it's a process that is relatively more sustainable. It's scalable because, you know, you're not dependent upon the harvest, as well as it's THC-free. So in the plant, you always get cannabinoids that are you know, not 100% pure, but we give you no THC. And because we are not no THC, we don't have all the drugs and the controlled substances and all of that that goes with um, some of these things. So we hope to bring... Uh, we ho- uh, actually, we've created an ingredient platform and why we say as a platform is because our first launch is a cannabinoid called CBG and CBGA, which is the acidic form. But in the future, we hope to bring other cannabinoids and CBG is called the mother cannabinoid because all other cannabinoids come from CBG and it has different kind of attributes, not only to the medical ones that I spoke about where research is being done, but also primary research indicates, you know, that it's great for skin uh, moisturizing and it has high anti-inflammation, anti-oxidation properties. And, um, you know, it's generally great for different kinds of uh, applications and products. So that's what CREO does, Max.
0: Awesome. No, thank you for sharing. And I still think it's absolutely fascinating as you and most people know that understand the cannabis industry, there is so much still to uncover and learn uh, about all the other cannabinoids. And speaking of that, so there's about a hundred and tell us, you know, kind of where you think the industry as a whole, and I say industry, I guess society as a whole is, and really understanding Uh, First of all, about all these other cannabinoids besides THC and CBD and CBN, some of the main ones, where do you think we lie in the kind of learning process uh, with with all these other cannabinoids?
1: So I think that even CBN, to be honest, is hardly known. It's basically THC and CBD. And the rest of them, I think people are just starting to hear about CBG, CBN, CBC, uh, THCVA. So you're You know, we are really up the curve, as they say, there's a lot of education that needs to be done, not only for the end consumer, but also for the brands themselves. So, you know, I we were at two trade shows recently and one was more in the foods and beverages segment and the other one was more in beauty and personal care. And you know whether there were small brands, you know indie beauty brands, or there were bigger brands or mid-sized companies. Um, they came over and interacted with us just to know the basics. What do you mean by you know fermentation? What do you mean by creating cannabinoids that are not from the plant what what exactly is cbg how is it different from cbd what does it actually do what data do you have you know um is cbn and cbg the same thing and you know there were so many questions so just like in any other category taking off max whether it's you know e-commerce in the time that it took off, you know, 20 years back or it's electric cars or it's, you know, um, um, online education or it's any of these other categories. um, You need to do a lot of education um, and explain to people what exactly are these cannabinoids and that their only purpose is not to get you high, but there are all these benefits associated with it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned CBG is kind of what you guys are focusing on now and CBG, do you already have kind of a roadmap of how many other cannabinoids that you'll uh, get into innovating or or get into producing or the process, the platform that you're producing, you already know that it can produce most, if not all the other cannabinoids.
1: I think the uh, platform is versatile enough. I don't want to make a claim to say, oh, we can produce all of them, but I think it's versatile enough to create many of these different cannabinoids. We are working on a roadmap after CBG, what next? And a lot of things are underway right now. But I think our primary uh, task right now is to really create this category of CBG, educate the brands, the end consumers, and really bring the benefits to different kinds of industries, categories, applications.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to continue to learn more and continue to see you guys innovate. Let's talk about, this is probably near and dear to your heart since you're, uh, you've are you built the brand and, and we'll get into some more marketing and branding stuff just because you've been at this for many years and it's taken a lot of turns Uh, due to social platforms and stuff like that. Let's talk about the three uh, brand pillars. I mean, obviously the play here is sustainability. In fact, on one of our prior shows, for those of the audience that listened to our shows, uh, we had Patrick McCartan from Regenibus, which obviously talked about the sustainable side of cannabis and and related uh, companies. But let's talk about the three brand pillars, sustainable innovation, access to abundance, and being a trusted partner. Um, what do those mean to you and explain how those you know kind of interplay with one another and how you guys are building from that foundation
1: yeah sure so um one of the things um you know as we built this brand was we wanted to build a brand that has a purpose and our mission really is to enable cannabinoid infused products in every home and in order to do that you know there are So our central idea or really our brand promise is, you know, nature loves our cannabinoids and so will you. So it's a focus on you, the customer, we are an enabler to help you produce products that will be loved by your consumer in turn and we are better for the planet. So sustainability definitely is a big focus. Uh, we, um, you know, we, uh, There is a lot of study to say how fermentation actually helps save um, land, water, electricity, as I mentioned earlier, but it's not just the process. I think sustainability for us is, uh, is a philosophy and a guiding principle. So whether it's our packaging, whether it is the way that we distribute um, in every manner, including, you know, small things like the way we want to produce our visiting cards or anything else. It's all about using stuff that is recycled, that's more sustainable and, you know, helps conserve um, our resources. And linked to our mission of actually making these happen in every household is access to abundance. So, because as a process, fermentation can scale up uh, and can provide you consistent uh, quality cannabinoids at whatever is required by the end customer, we can help scale up this industry. Plus... Um, It's also not just one cannabinoid, as I mentioned in the future, there will be access to some other cannabinoids that we hope to bring through this process uh, to brands and consumers across the uh, world. So um, that pillar is very much linked to the way we manufacture, which is more sustainable, uh, more scalable and more safe. Um, like I said, it's THC free. And the last pillar, which is about being your trusted partner is because of, you know, many things. Number one, we have a partnership with a very big company called Genomatica, who is one of the leaders in bioengineering and really know how to get, um, you know, these products to market themselves as well. Um, plus the management team at Creo, which is, you know, comes from all top fortune companies. Um, not even 500, I think Fortune 100 companies. We come from diverse backgrounds, but have done uh, jobs in brands that are really respected. And um, third um, is our product. I mean, our product is pure, it's um, reliable quality, it's consistent. and, And, you know, we, we are the first company that actually started this uh, process in 2016. Um, and uh, so we understand how to really manufacture these cannabinoids through uh, fermentation. So I think it's, it's an interplay of these three uh, pillars that leads to the brand promise and uh, to our mission of getting uh, cannabinoids in every uh, home.
0: Gosh, I love it. I love how how clear and concise uh, you know you you can deliver that. And we, as as you know, kind of from from our background, we are a purpose driven search firm. We've worked with a lot of purpose driven companies, so uh, you're kind of talking our language. You're talking about your mission and being purpose driven. Um, so talk a little bit, let's get into Geomatica. I know, you know, you, the way I understood in our conversation is you guys are running a pretty, uh, running a lean and effective business model because you have them as a partner. So you can really focus on, you know, the, the commercialization, uh, of your, of your platform and products, but talk about the significance of that partnership. I know that, you know, there's, that's kind of the engine behind a lot of this, and um, the way I understood it, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a lot of the manufacturing and R and D kind of outsourced to them. But let's talk about them. I know they're also an investor, uh, which we can get into as well. But just talk about how it, how the, the partnership has gone, and, and having them as a technical partner, how has that enabled you and your your uh, your team?
1: Sure. So uh, to be clear, they're not the manufacturing partner. We we work with one of uh, the top toll manufacturers in the United States and have our own manufacturing. Uh, but what Genomatica brings to the table is their technical expertise, and that's why we call them our technical partner. Um, you know, initially, the technology was born actually in a university lab, and then uh, Roy, who's our founder, took this opportunity to Genomatica And over the last few years, um, they've really helped us build out the process, the technology, create these cannabinoids through fermentation, you know, the entire purification process, etc., And because of them having already done this with different kinds of products on their own, their technical team, their scientists, their uh, folks have a lot of knowledge that could be leveraged by us. They also own different patrons and, um, you know being a small lean mean team, as you said, um, you know, we uh, are able to concentrate more on the sales, marketing, commercialization, manufacturing, distribution part of the business. Of course, Roy and others are involved a lot on the technical side as well, you know, being passionate about science is what Roy is all about. And so, you know, that, that there is that interface, but Clearly, it's helped us a lot because we were able to circumvent a lot of learning cycles that we would have had to go through if the entire technology was you know, done from zero by us without their expertise. So it shortened our time to market. It's a more proven process. Um, and um, you know, we have their backing in terms of uh, uh, being able to leverage all their learning.
0: Got it. Yeah. It's, you know, when you're talking about it, it sounds like a very, uh, Roy, this is using a very intuitive and you guys use a very intuitive way to speed up uh, the process and really leverage kind of what they've done to date, uh, which is amazing. And they're obviously, they're a large investor in the company as well, as I understand.
1: Yes. Yes. They're one of our key um, major stakeholders for a certainty. Got it. And as if I
0: read an article online, I was just doing some research as of September, you guys have raised about 50 million. Has that number changed at all? Or are you still? Yeah, it's
1: gone up. It's gone up because, you know, that was a couple of years old. I think a year old, we now have some further equity that's been invested in the company.
0: Got it. Yeah. And, and strangely enough, I was talking, I had a conversation with uh, Arcadian Capital, and I asked them what they were excited about after I had talked to you. I was a couple months later and you were one of the companies that came up as somebody that they were very excited. Uh, so I don't know if they actually took part in the, in uh, the raise, but they were certainly speaking nice things about you guys. So, um, so you're definitely That's on nice. folks radars.
1: Yeah. I think um, there is some commercial relationship with them. I'm not sure exactly of what, but I know that they're part of, you know, the ecosystem that we exist in. And it's great always to hear that people you're associated with, you know, believe in you and believe in what you're doing.
0: Got it. And let's talk about the product lifestyle. What's it look like for you and your team and kind of where are you at with it?
1: So we've done, we are now producing commercial product ourselves, uh, Max and we uh, we are you know ready to sell to customers, which is great news. So we completed a demo run, an initial run, and now we have commercial scale that we can supply product at. And um, you know, at this moment, we are um, working on a whole lots of what I call proofs of concept. So you know, we are working with different brands and different products that they want to create customization that they want, you know, many people are looking at, okay, can I add CBG with X, Y, or Z, or want it in a certain kind of formulation. So there's, like I said, this is a lot of category development work, um, you know, working with brands right now to create those proof of concepts, to get those products out there and get them out on shelves uh, so that people can actually see, consume them, use them, et cetera. So that's the part of the life cycle that we are really concentrated on right now, which is to engage with customers, start getting some of these proofs out, start um, really being able to put product on shelf.
0: Got it. I got it. You guys are making some pretty good progress. Now I want to switch gears a little bit because one thing that stuck out at me and really got me uh, even you know more interested in Creo was you're looking at your background and how you switched gears and got into the industry. And you talked about, you know, and the first thing that comes to my mind is how does that conversation go? Where you come home and you tell your daughter and your husband, you're quitting a job that you have worked very, very hard in, climb the company ladder to a global role at HP and, and then you're going to stop. So tell me how you made the decision to join the Creo team.
1: Sure. So, you know, um, I loved HP and I still do. It's a brand very close to my heart. I did a lot of different things with HP across product categories, across region, worldwide, global, country, etc. I began with Compaq and then compact got bought over with HP. But there comes a time when, you know, you... I think for me, especially where you know, you just sit back and reflect and think about what's going to be next. And you know, um, my daughter was going to. One of the things about HP being a great uh, company is that they give you a lot of uh, flexibility in terms of you know being able to do great work-life balance and also. You know, paying attention to your um, uh, family. And so it, it was great while my daughter was growing up. And then, having been through and done everything in HP in terms of categories and role types, I was at this moment thinking, hey, what's my daughter's going to go off to college and do a new adventure in her life? And what's what really is going to be my own next adventure? What's going to excite me to? get out of bed and say, oh my God, I'm changing the world. I'm doing something. I'm making an impact. And I felt like, you know, I wanted to do a completely different category and a completely different size of company. And it was also propelled, Max, by the fact that when I was thinking of this next chapter and I was talking to uh, folks, I was told, oh, you know, you're in tech, you're in hardware, you don't have SaaS and cloud or whatever else it is experience. So all you can do is to move to similar kind of companies and roles. And you know, uh, I remember reading and and not to really talk down, and that's not my intention. I'm just illustrating what I went through. You know, there were all these job descriptions where they wanted like a hundred different things, and then you know, top of that, they wanted super specialization that was so. Um, so amazing I was really wondering are there people like that out there who have all this and the super specialization but um, you know for me as a marketer I felt like if you knew if you know your stuff and you know um, your process and and Uh insights and customers and how to build customer journeys and content journeys your skills are transferable if you understand the fundamentals you can work in any category and be successful and the fact that you worked in a large company or what was called at that time a large legacy company you can still go to a smaller company and be super successful so for me it was rough also a personal mission to move from tech to biotech and something that was totally different, you know, selling into foods and and cosmetics and natural products and beauty, totally diverse from what I had done and move from a very large company to a startup where I had hardly any resources And, you know, I had to relearn skills that I had forgotten. I'd not done some of that execution work for years on edge. So at one side, I was doing all this lot of strategic work in terms of, you know, deciding the company name, the vision, the messaging, the brand identity, value proposition, go-to-market strategy, PR, comms, et cetera, hiring and building the team. But on the second side, I was doing like, totally super tactical, super executional work. But because of what I had been through and my experience in my previous jobs, I was actually able to do that. So like I said, it was a bit of a personal mission to prove that. Uh, and I have to say, when I came home, I told you what my doctor uh, daughter's uh, reaction was. Are you going to be selling weed? And like, you know, um, but I think they were extremely supportive Uh, of the fact that I wanted to do this change, that I wanted something new in my life to focus on and uh, be able to prove that, that I could do this transition um, successfully. So they were very, very um, supportive. Um, And I think a lot of my friends and family, you know, while they were quite surprised or, you know, that I had decided to do such a bold change, they were like, go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it makes sense to me. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and I've had started and sold and, and the, been able to do a lot of things. So for me, it's, you know, I, I think I, I get it. And this is your opportunity to kind of create your own legacy, uh, starting with like naming a company. I mean, you got into HP and, and Compaq, and obviously, you know, you didn't get that opportunity to, to, to really start from the beginning. But that beginning sometimes is very scary for some people. And I'm sure when this ends up, CREO ends up being very successful, people look back and, and it'll look like it was an easy journey. And it certainly isn't because there are um, obviously some risks that you know you're going to have to go through in order to uh, get get down the road here. But I, I, I admire you. I'm sure your daughter, uh, you know, you're such a great, powerful uh, leader. I'm sure she looks up to you and, and uh, will uh, she respects that you're making this decision and, and making the leap. I'm telling you, you talked about your mindset. I mean, you know, I, I think I read this or maybe you told me, but I had written down, I mean, you had like 120 people and pretty much unlimited resources. And you kind of talked about, you know, kind of changing this mindset. Has it been difficult to change that mindset or, or, you know, you, you referred to a little bit, or you're really enjoying it going back and, and doing stuff that you hadn't done for quite some time?
1: Um. So I, I won't say that it's all been a bed of roses, to be honest. I think I would be not 100% truthful. I think changing the mindset was was not as difficult. It was, you know, it was quite fun, actually, at points of time, um, you know, being able to recollect how I'd done things or, you know, just learning a new way of doing things, because when I did that, technology was at a different um, space, right? So it was relearning, old skills. Skills, relearning them in a new way, and it was all very, very ex, um, exciting. I think for me, um, the most powerful motivator was exactly what you mentioned earlier, which is you know I was creating my own legacy. It was a white page and a blank page that I that I was helping write, um, and um, and for being getting that challenge and getting that. High from being able to create from nothing and building from scratch and growing and seeing how those things are turning out was in itself a big uh, motivator and you know um, made me feel made me deal with what I felt were some of the things that, you know, sometimes I wanted Oh, I wish I had these resources or I wish I had this kind of agency that I worked with or this kind of a budget because I know that, you know, there's so much opportunity to do stuff, but you are limited by the resources that you have. So there are times that you pause and you miss that you know, you miss that size, you miss that resources, you miss the kind of people that you worked with, but it's temporarily, it's like a twinge that happens. And then you move on to the next thing that you have to do. Um, So all in all, I think um, it's all about in your own head, um, being able to, um, you know, to also And I think there's an emotional layer to this, Max. It's not just the physical thing of learning these tasks and doing this thing, but it's also emotionally dealing with it. Okay, I was doing this kind of a job and now I'm doing this kind of a job. Have I actually, you know, uh, gone down in my life? No, Um, you know, that's the emotional aspect that you have to deal with, that it's not so much, you know, doing something that's a little less, um, let's say, less people, less resources, et cetera. But actually it's more complex, it's more creative. And, um, and you know, if it might be smaller scale, but look at the vast um, not only the opportunity, but the vastness of what you are actually doing. And uh, so that w- that helps with that little bit of the emotions that you go through at times uh, because you know people are always wanting to go to bigger, better. and this is this is bigger and better for me in a slightly different way, if you know what I'm uh, trying to say here. So um, I think it's about us. Um, being able to within ourselves, having that resolution to say, I can do this. And this is what works for me at this point of time. And I'm going to take everything that I've learned previously and apply it to this company where I have an opportunity to create what I really want in terms of culture, brand, purpose, and everything else.
0: Yeah. 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 No. and, And I just the, uh, genuineness and the way you carry yourself and, and just the leader that you are and the, the way you communicate i'm curious uh, for myself and i'm sure my audience audiences too because they have this same thing going on i have teenagers as well uh, actually 17 16 15 12 and three year old but uh so the older ones i i always wonder if i should push them or when they ask you know what what, what should they do do you encourage your Daughter towards any specific area of study or any um, anything specific in way of what she should do for the rest of her life, or how are you? You know, I know you have the marketing expertise. Is she interested in that at this point, or how do you guys go about encouraging your uh, daughter?
1: So you know, very early in life, Max. Um, of course, my daughter's biggest passion in life is riding. She she's a show jumper. Nobody in my family has done it. And honestly, if I'd known the cost of doing it, I don't think I would have been so encouraging about it. But you know, it's a passion. and I love that passion that she has. And so, you know, with whatever means we can, we've encouraged her to find that because when this child is with her horse, Um, It's just, it's a different, um, it's just a different joy. Um, But having said that, you know, I found very early in life that Anusha was amazing in terms of, you know, her design and her aesthetics and the way she did things and, you know, her art capabilities, and just the way she put various pieces of a puzzle together, um, the way that she looked at things. It was very different from the way I looked at it or my husband, um, and uh, the way she problem solved was very unique. And so I encouraged her to think about design as a career. Um, you know, this is Silicon Valley. I stay in Palo Alto. Everybody is into you know STEM and coding and you know uh, whatever. And so um, it was a bit of a this thing for her because initially she also wanted to get into all those things. But I said to her over you know two three summers. You, put her in different kind of summer things with design, you know, put her in something to do with um, architecture, put her in something to do with uh, uh, fashion, you know, uh, just plain art, etc, etc. And that kind of helped her hone down what she was interested in. And, um, and she, and in the end, she, you know, when she was in the end of her sophomore year that's grade 10 beginning of junior year, i think end of 10th grade actually she decided that you know design was something that was for her and um, And then she actually initially had decided that she wanted to pursue sustainable design, but with reference to fashion and textiles. But as she was exploring her opportunity, she came across this program at Parsons uh, called Strategic Design and uh, Thinking and Management. So uh, in this program, they teach you more about how to apply the design principles to solve you know, a lot of problems that exist in the world today, how to build businesses that are more sustainable, more innovative, more out of the box thinking, more entrepreneurial. And, um, you know, it's slightly different from a conventional Uh, kind of uh, management degree, but it's not a fine arts degree either. So she is now pursuing uh, this course at Parsons in strategic design thinking and management. And she's doing a minor in fashion uh, because she does want to. And she launched her own label, actually, when she was a junior. Um, She created her own sustainable uh, brand and she wants to take that forward forward but in a slightly different manner. And so my approach always has been, you want to expose your child to everything under the sun, but then let themselves select what works for them and what doesn't. And, you know, keep a spot out on what you think their talents might be. Like my husband was always, you will be a great lawyer, Anusha, you never forget anything. (laughs) And you can always argue to make things come to your point of view and whatever. But, you know, she said, I'm not going to take the LSAT. And she didn't want to pursue that, even though we both felt she had natural talent. So I think you know, seeing what your child is passionate about and what makes them work and what their talents are and just exposing them to everything, then just let them self-select and, you know, hope to God that you've done right. And, you know, ultimately they come with their own fate and God takes care of them.
0: Oh man, that's such amazing, amazing advice. That makes me curious as to how you were uh, raised. So you were born in India and spent some time working in India. At what point did you I think you worked, if I read your profile right and in, in some of the background, you worked in India and kind of in Asian Pacific, and then you eventually made your way to be based in the US. But how were you raised in India? How is tell us about your journey? How has that, you know, kind of, I guess, possibly affected the way you see life? And how has that affected the way I've st- the reason why I started thinking about it is I think your daughter and you're in the situation as most of my audience and myself and a lot of people that I'm in, like YPO with where our kids have it better than we had it. And we had it better than our parents had it. And so it's a total different style of how we raise our kids because they have a lot more resources and they can see they have a lot more resources. But my curiosity is you know, kind of itching me and just kind of curious as to the way you are raised and how you ended up. And I know you're very humble being such a level headed, uh, really great leader and mother and, uh, you know all those things and wife. Um, tell me how you're raised and and tell me about your journey yeah. uh, from India.
1: Sure. So you know, raised in pretty much anywhere in an upper middle class household. Uh, luckily for me, uh, my parents were extremely uh, liberal and modern, and so you know, education was a really big value in our house. Um, and you know, um, and but at the same time. You know, I've seen struggle um, as I was growing up. I've seen, you know, I've seen poverty. I've seen struggle. I've seen, um, and that always made me a little bit achievement oriented because when you're fighting, a lot of people are fighting for very limited resources. Then the person who gets those resources is the one who's the best, right? And who drives for it the hardest. And I think that impacted me as to always wanting to, you know, drive for something, being the best and and wanting to uh, make sure that um, through what I achieved, I could build a better um, lifestyle for all around me as well. But I think the other things that really impacted me was, you know, I grew up in in a family where family was really the center of everything, you know, not just your own immediate family, but cousins and uncles and aunts. And, you know, you get together and they're like 60 people in the house. And so um, I've always been about people, about empathy, about connection. Um, and, you know, being tied to your roots, I feel that's so important um, for me. Um, you know, when I came to the U.S. and I traveled other places in the world. I stayed in Singapore, I stayed in Hong Kong. I worked for very briefly in Geneva was all because, you know, I I wanted to have a larger impact. And for that, if it meant leaving home and going else, it was great. But I've always been tied back to my roots. I am an Indian and I totally always believe uh, India is my country. I'm very proud of who I am and where I come from. Whereas when I see a lot of people around me, some even from India, I have to say, they aren't always proud of their heritage or the country or what it stands for. So I think for me, the biggest difference was that my family rooted me very much in who I was in family, in the values, in our uh, tradition and culture, um, you know, taught me how to be humble, value what I have, um, you know, try and always share what you have, but also be, um, you know, approachable and and um, bring people together. And you know, th- we used to celebrate festivals. There'd be like. 50 people in the house. So that is still with me today. I'm always about trying to bring my teams together and external teams and internal teams and people. And, you know, I feel that's my gift. I bring people together and it comes very much from my background. Um, But, you know, the values of education, of, you know, being honest in your work um, being doing the best of your abilities at every time and giving 100% of yourself to everything you give really came from the way that I was brought up. And having seen the struggles, my own family, and a lot of people around me, I think I value every little success and I value every little thing that I get because sometimes you know how tough it is. And that is something that I feel always skips a generation maybe so like you said my daughters had it very easy Um, you know I take her back my mother runs a school for slum children in India I always take her back in the summer I want her to see that I wanted to see um, how lucky she is for what she has and for her to be able to make the best of the opportunities that frankly we've been able to give her because of the lifestyle that we've had.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Amazing. Now, thank you for sharing that. It, it's um, wonderful to hear. Not surprising, just based off of, uh, you know, just interacting with you. And uh, it's just, it's great. And what about the roles that you had in working in India and in, in kind of leading up the Asia Pacific divisions, as, as I understand it, uh, from HP? How was that experience helpful in benefiting you and kind of the work you did later on in the work you're doing today?
1: I think the biggest thing that, to be honest, is many people in, and I do not, uh, you know, when you work in worldwide or global, if you've only worked in the US, you have a certain view of the world. And I think having worked in a country (laughs) and in a region made me understand what, you know, made me. Uh, very knowledgeable and understanding and empathetic towards what happens in a country. You know what do you, all the troubles you go through in order to meet your numbers and and work doing a lot of things with very limited resources and therefore the expectations that they have from a worldwide team or a global team. Um, and was something that I understood because of the experience that I'd had myself of being in a country and a region. And having worked in different regions, I was also able to see what different regions really needed. So every time when at worldwide or global, when I came to the US and we were doing campaigns, I would bring this different perspective that came from having worked in different areas, in different countries and different roles and regions, And being able to influence my team to look at things from a slightly different background. And when a country team is asking you for something, don't just dish them and say, what the hell this country is a pain, understand what they're going through and why they're asking you for this. Or even when we were evaluating a campaign, having a, a, you know, a mindset that's not just about the US, but trying to figure how will it react in China or India or, you know, Germany or whatever it. It gives you a different perspective when you're looking at things and creative. Um, and I think the other thing is because I've always been so hands on, because I came up through the country, the region, et cetera, you know, it, it just gives you more confidence because you know the process, you've been through it. And so, you know, nobody can really sell you something because you understand what it is to actually. Create or implement or do something, and that I think is very useful because it gives you um, a lot of confidence that you would not have if it was you simply you know coming into some job in the U.S. at some um, um, higher um, level. So I think I've learned a lot from that experience. In fact, you know, uh, one of the greatest marketing people that I've ever met, uh, both Antonio and Sajiv, Antonio Lucio and Sajiv Chail, who were. Um, you know, leading marketing at different times in HP, you know, one of their guiding principles was you must rotate jobs and you must go and work in countries and regions so that you actually get that um, experience and that perspective.
0: Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I've traveled a lot and worked obviously with, you know, some other countries on some projects and you do learn a lot. You learn a lot of, you know, the perspective and, and, the cultural aspects. Um, so I, this is, uh, it all makes a lot of sense. What do you do? Like personally, uh, obviously you, you, you probably have to, uh, you have a horse or your daughter has a horse, but what do you like to do outside of the work and what do you do outside of work to keep your life balanced? Um, besides driving uh, business.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, you know, both me and my husband and I, we share a passion for travel. Honestly, I love traveling. I think I live to travel sometimes. So we love exploring new things, new experiences, new places, um, etc. I'm a big movie buff. I love watching everything from chick flicks to the most serious of films. Um, I love reading, reading on every subject, could be marketing, could be a thriller, could be a romance novel, could be something to do with spirituality or anything else. I'm a voracious reader, Um, I love watching and for me cooking is my like relaxation thing I love cooking exotic meals and experimenting with stuff because you know and my husband and daughter have to take the brunt of all my experimentation but I love um, cooking and I think the other thing for me uh, Max is I'm spiritually a very um, I'm spiritually very um, rooted let's say I'm not you know, I believe there's a difference between being spiritual and being ritualistic. I don't think I'm ritualistic, but I'm very spiritual. And so a lot of my time is also spent on just, you know, um, learning about different things and meditating and, uh, you know, trying to achieve uh, something that brings inner peace and learning to um, to my soul rather than just my senses and my body.
0: I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's um doesn't surprise me that you're a voracious reader and relentless learner and uh you know a lot of successful leaders you know that's what gets them to where they they are. And uh your husband's lucky that you're you're into cooking. My wife maybe I'll have her listen to this but she's not she doesn't really love to cook like that but she does love to read. So there's there's that piece but uh, you know, on the same note, my audience, I always talk about uh anytime I, I have a, a leader that has been successful and is super humble. Are there any like apps or pieces of technology or things that you do like habitually that help you stay productive, not only in work, but just in life in general? And you nailed you hit some. Obviously, I am listening as far as your spirituality and, and things that you spend some time on and focusing on to kind of strike that balance, but is there any like little things that people that you use that kind of help you um, stay kind of straightened out or or productive in life?
1: Yeah, um, I do. So I use technology quite a lot. Um, You know, um, I use a whole lot of um, apps in terms of uh, being, you know, whether it's in terms of managing uh, my calendar, but also, you know, i'm i'm very much about uh content and so i follow a lot of uh, different um, not only podcasts but a different lots of different thought leaders and i try and listen to them while i'm walking or whatever you know so i use technology in that manner of course um you know everybody uses google and facebook and twitter and linkedin but to be honest i found that while people tend to dish them sometimes they're very useful i I mean, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn um, just connecting and what reading people have done. Um, I go to Medium to see what others have done. Uh, online shopping is the biggest boon in my life because I never have time to go I love going to stores but unfortunately sometimes times doesn't cope up with me so you know having all those things uh, helps as well um, and um, you know I use things like Expensify to manage my costs in a new startup that's very important to have apps like that which do things for you you know travel app or expense app and all of those because you're doing a lot of these things yourself and uh, not a big company, of course. Um, um, I'm very much on top of um, you know, using things like uh, Teams and you know, Zoom and whatever that I'm sure everybody is doing now in order to create a connection and um, and manage that. And I do a lot of uh, I found now while I love you know just having a book in my hand and curling up and reading that I've realized I have to use my time better in every activity do I do so you know if I'm if I'm traveling for a long time then I'll just Don't have access to a physical book. I'll just, you know, read audio sometimes or I listen to something. Um, I love all the, I love YouTube and everything else that you can see and discover on that. So I don't have some hi fi apps to tell you, but it's just some of these things that I do, which I think make my life much easier. And of course, everything, all recipes are now online. I think I've forgotten my recipe books.
0: Got it. No, you know what? And you you kind of hit one. Oops, sorry for all the dinging here. Well, you hit one that I do think is important that I don't talk about much, but it's something that I that charges me up. And that is listening to podcasts while I work out. It's just something that's like you're, I'm killing two birds with one stone and they just like they build off each other. So getting exercise while I'm listening to podcasts is really energizing to me, too. Uh, the other thing I want to get into as we will start to wrap up in the next 10 minutes or so here. Um, you've been amazing. I could probably talk to you for about four hours. Um, let's talk about like you know since we just went through covid nineteen, and since you have more of a worldly view, it's it, you have family in India still. What have been some of the covid nineteen blessings that you have seen? I'd like to focus on the positive side. and then tell us, you know share with me and my audience like what has covid nineteen been like in India?
1: Um, you know, um, it, it was a bit devastating at a time, Max, especially earlier this year when Delta was there. And even last year, one lost a lot of family and friends. And um, that was, uh, and you know, a lot of people, and it's not just loss of lives, it's loss of livelihoods. Many people lost jobs. You know, there was a lot more um, poverty and struggle that I saw. Um, even in the US but even back home in India and I think Delta was just devastating for me personally because we lost a lot of family and friends and people who didn't deserve to go Um, but I think there are some blessings that um, COVID-19 also gave Um, you know I learned different ways on how to heal And move on. And because if you deal with loss of such a large kind, I think you have to learn how to heal and move on. And I think that was something that I learned. But my biggest blessings were, you know, I still have my parents, you know, as a family um, my siblings my husband's siblings we're all there we're all together um, and I think COVID brought us back together in a much more deeper manner than even before so we've always closed net but I think it's it's brought even the larger family and friends all together you know being able to do these zoom calls because you were not traveling or you weren't going out for so many dinners and stuff with school friends with college friends with previous colleagues I mean you know on WhatsApp on Zoom, we are always now meeting, talking, celebrating people's birthdays or this or that, and I think that has been um, a great pleasure and great blessing. I think the nature healed because we weren't using so many cars and being out there and so many resources. I think nature healed, which was uh, which was an uh, uh, important thing as well. And we've all seen those pictures of you know lions on the road or you know birds in the sky and all of that that happened. Uh, I think COVID also taught us how to use our resources well and not be so wasteful in our consumption all the time. Uh, for me, that was a personal, um, a personal learning uh, and a blessing because it moved me away from, you know, not always having to think about material things to also thinking about some of the other things um, in life. So a lot of blessings we have a job, we've got food on the table, we stuck around as a family, Lots rediscovered many old and beautiful relationships, created new ones, a mind shift things to, you know, move away from consumption to looking at things in a slightly different manner, learning how to keep oneself healthy, walk, I lost weight and You know, I think uh, that's something I was extremely lazy about earlier, never prioritized it, but COVID forced me to think about my own health and, you know, resistance and how would I be able to deal with something like that. And so um, I think um, a lot of learning and a lot of um, blessings, um, honestly. And my daughter went to college in the middle of pandemic and, you know, she had to take admission without even visiting the campus, um, but all of it worked out. So I'm very grateful to God for everything we had and nice. with the healing and the learnings as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing those, that, that, that's amazing. And, and I will I've had some of the same kind of blessings uh, with getting focused on fitness and just, you know, kind of simplifying uh, my life a bit. Uh, So that's, that's been kind of nice for me as well. Um, Changing gears just a little bit um, since we're in the hiring world, I'd love to get, uh, you know, some of your, you know, some of your opinions on, on kind of your experience in hiring, what type of leaders do you think make the most, uh, the most impactful, the most impactful leaders in such an emerging industry, like you're in, you're almost you know creating building an industry that's somebody you know that's never been built before at least in that category. But what type of leaders do you think make the the biggest impact in such an emerging industry?
1: Yeah, I think you need some people who are self driven and self starters. Um, You know, when you don't have something that is all laid out for you, you need to be in, you know, you need to have a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of self driven, um, and also be self motivated. So that for me is a big thing. I think you also need to be the kind of person who can problem solve and work with limited resources, look at things differently, do a little bit out of the box thinking. Um, and um, and try and solve problems in different manners than what you were used to. I think you know people who are um, empathetic and and have a high emotional quotient. In any case, for me, they succeed in any um, in any circumstance, and so that's always a good to have for me. Um, as well as people who are um, are doers. I'm a big believer in doing. I believe that, um, you know, you need to be strong executioners to succeed. Uh, One needs to be able to see the big picture and strategy, but at the same time, you need to be focused on execution and driving things and doing things. Um, I believe you need to be a risk taker. You won't come to a category or a job like this unless you're a risk taker. And uh, it's not about taking foolish risks, but thoughtful risks is important and um, you need to have that risk-taking ability uh, and of course, functional expertise and whatever that you're mm-hmm. trying to do and uh, be willing to be flexible. I mm-hmm. think in today's world, especially in a startup, in a new category, um, you've got to be flexible and change course mm-hmm. and learn and learn from your mistakes and not be afraid to admit a mistake and move on.
0: Gosh, you nailed it. I think uh, one of the things we hear almost every time when we go in to hire a C-level leader, usually when it's around an, a COO or an ops role, sometimes in every the president, CEO, a leadership team is telling us in some shape or form that they need executors. Like there's a lot of ideas that just aren't getting executed on. So uh, I think you're nailing it. I think we're, we're running into the same you know, types of things um, in this day and age, just you know performance oriented things. Um, Just a couple, you know, I'm going to run through as I start to wrap up, maybe just some, some, uh, some more rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit more. What, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning?
1: Um, To be honest, I thank, um, I thank God uh, for waking up to another beautiful day and to imbue myself with positivity, joy and gratitude in everything that I do. And then I do some meditation and then I go have a cup of my coffee. And if I don't have my coffee, I'm a very big bit. So I just need to make sure I have my coffee after that.
0: <laughs> I'll get it. What book have you read more than once? Or what? Do you, what is your favorite book that comes to mind?
1: Uh, that's a tough one because there are so many books that I have read again and again. But, um, you know, I don't know whether you will think of this, um, but there's a book of um, poetry that I have, and it has poetry from all over the world. It's called Small Verses, and I've read that book so many times because every time I read it, I get a different meaning in it. I've read um, now, um, you know, again and again. It's a really book, big book to read again, but I've tried to read it a couple of times because I feel the philosophy Um, speaks to my heart and what I believe in. Um, I've read a lot of um, um, even thrillers again and again. Um, You know, I've read um, things like uh, all the, you know, when I when my daughter was there, I've reread a lot of these books around, you know, soup for the soul and soup for this and that and all those series to in order to learn a bit more of those things. And I love I love Um, reading uh, Jane Austen. I can read her books anytime, all the time.
0: My wife likes her as well. If you, so if you could, if you had to give a 10 minute presentation on a topic on the fly, what what would it be?
1: Um, I would give a presentation on, you know, just um, how marketing has evolved and changed um, right now. That would be, Um, a more functional topic of how to be successful in marketing in today's world, from my point of view. And, you know, what does it take to really um, help your company um, being being a marketer? But on the other side, I would love to do presentations on how to multitask as a mom. I would love to do on how to, how spirituality can help Um, in you, in today's world and how spirituality is so different from being ritualistic. And I would love to do a presentation on, um, on just, uh, you know, believing in yourself and taking those risks and, you know, how you can change paradigms in your life if you just think differently.
0: I love that. I love that. What person has had the greatest impact on your life?
1: Oh, you're asking me really tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think I am who I am because of my parents and what they gave me. But I think my husband who's, you know, in him, I found my sole partner. And, you know, the the just the confidence and the um, and, and the dreams that he made me have and the ability that he gave me to, I've learned so much from him because he was a fellow marketer and then a CEO. So I've learned a lot from him. Um, and, um, and, you know, my daughter, I mean, she's had the biggest impact on my life uh, in every which way. So okay. it's not one of your traditional role models. I think for me, it's been just people around me uh, that have impacted my life the most.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and what's something on your bucket list that you're waiting to check off?
1: Oh, I want to get back to taking travel and holidays again. I had a big holiday plan to Machu Picchu, and I want to do that before I become too old to climb Machu Picchu. So I want to do that as soon as possible, um, as well as just have a family holiday together with my extended family somewhere in Europe.
0: Awesome. Well, hopefully you guys will be able to do that soon. And uh, I'm going to start wrapping up. I could, this conversation could go on forever and I'm enjoying it a ton. And I want to thank you for your time. You've been so gracious and it's been so wonderful learning more about you, learning more about what you're doing and then learning just about, you know, how you go about life. It's been uh, amazing. So I want to thank you for that. Um, So you've been listening to the built on purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by y Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at YScouts.com. And Shuchi, thanks a lot. I'll give you the last word. Is there any advice that you would give our audience to help them excel both in their personal and professional life that you haven't already given?
1: I think one thing that I've learned um, that is professionally and personally very important for me, of course, apart from everything else that I've said, is to develop, is to find out your own purpose and your own brand. I think the minute you get and you know it takes a little bit of time to sit down and think about what your purpose is who you are as a person as a brand and and you find that personal and professional purpose I think it just makes all decisions and what you decide to do in life much easier um, and so that's one thing that I didn't talk about, but I think it's really, really critical. And sometimes it sounds a bit esoteric, but to be honest, if you try and do it and create your own purpose, your own brand, you'll find that it makes everything in life much simpler.
0: Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.